liturgists. We're in the middle of a really crazy summer. Michael is on tour with Gunger, and I just moved my family to Los Angeles all the way across the country. So, we asked Greg, Corey, and Madison to put together a special episode for you instead of just having dead air this week. This episode is some of the favorite moments from our other podcast, The Liturgist Conversations. Our subscribers on Patreon picked these as their favorites, and we thought we'd give you all a chance to hear what happens on our Patreon feed. The Liturgist Podcast is a highly curated, sound-designed, and edited production, which brings you the best we can possibly offer on a topic as seen through the lenses of science, art, and faith. That is absolutely nothing like the Liturgist Conversations, which is a completely unscripted, real-time, raw, unedited conversation. So let me warn you, this episode could push your buttons. There will be sexual themes, there will be profanity, there will be very mature topics discussed because it's a behind-the-scenes look at uh, what Michael, Gunger, and I are like when we're not on stage and not recording, though we both work hard at being our authentic selves in public. Uh, we do keep things radio-friendly on the Liturgist Podcast and uh, appropriate for public forums when we're on stage, and the Liturgist Conversations is us at our very most real, raw, unfiltered selves. So if that's something you're not comfortable with, I'd encourage you to go and hit hit pause now and come back for another episode of the Liturgist Podcast in the future. If you're interested in trying our Patreon subscription, you can learn more at theliturgist.com. Just click the Donate Now button. And other than that, we'll talk to you in a few weeks when life settles down. In case any of you doubted when Mike says that he's not a viable organism, I'm sitting there looking at him right now. He's got like a cast on his foot, and he's, he's not talking. My throat hurts so bad. He's been recording his audiobook. So like he did six hours yesterday and six hours today. And he's uh he's real tired. He can't talk. And I am a little baby. He's a baby. I did my audiobook in twenty-four hours. Now, admittedly, that's crazy. But uh he's doing it all week and he's spacing it out six hours a day and he's still like losing his voice. So he's gotta save it. So he's uh he's Mr. Computer Man today. Neither of us are in great shape, though. Well, I'll tell you what's been going on with me. This is going to be an odd one to listen to, maybe, for people. But um, So this week, we went on a... My family went on a camping trip with uh, Amelie's school. She goes to, like, this hippie school in L.A. where, you know, her friend right now inside playing with her is... With, she's with Erin and Pony inside. These are our... You know, it's like the... the typical it's so wonderful it's like it's a loving school if you ask about the school it's like all very a peaceful loving school love it um but we go into camp these camps every year to go camping and uh to get a picture of the school like you have like one kid falls there's only like 13 kids or something but then all the other kids if the kids hurt and crying all the other kids go up and like rub their hands 
and then they heal. They like stretch out their hands and heal the, <laughs> the children. <laughs> uh, when we first, hippie power. Yeah, hippie power. When we went the first year, um, we were sitting next to one of the moms. Was like, uh, "Are we in a cult?" Um, but we laugh and enjoy it. So anyway, on this trip, uh, apparently one of the people grabbed some sticks for the um, for the s'mores that night, and they grabbed it from a poison oak bush. And uh, no shit. Yeah. So everybody, like almost everybody on the trips, got poison oak. <laughs> Uh, and so at least the adults, the kids apparently in their throats. Uh, I don't think so. I, from what I've seen, you have to have a, uh, like if it goes, you can get that it. That oil can transmit to food. Hmm. Well, we're all, I mean, for that reason, everybody's been freaking out a little bit. Like one guy's face totally did kind of swell up and shut down. I thought that maybe I had it in my throat because I had, I've had swa trouble swallowing a couple things, but I'm not, that was it. And I've had some of that before with just my esophagus. So I don't know if that affected it or not, but I tell you what was affected. And it, this is not an episode. You should never have your children listen to this, ep this podcast, by the way, just, uh, just, <laughs> but I'll tell you where I really got this guy. What are you doing? <laughs> I, you don't even have to ask, do I even need to say it? But yes. Yeah, so, okay. So, uh, all of a sudden, I'm getting real itchy. I'm getting real itchy down below. And I'm like, what is going on? Because we didn't know. It takes a couple days usually before poison oak to start appearing for people. Um, but this is like the day after the camping trip. And I'm like, what is happening down down there? And it's getting real bad. And then I start seeing some like, you know, some red and bumps and, and things. And that's, I'm like, not, I'm not messing with the penis. You know, I'm not, I'm not messing with it. So I'm like, uh... Sound effects. I was not expecting it. I don't even. It sounds like Star Wars? No. <laughs> um, so I. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I call the doctor, and my doctor can't see me. And it's obviously getting worse and worse by the hour. And I'm like, I got to go in. So they, and you know, they're asking me questions like where, what's, what's happening. I mean, I don't know what it is, but it's, my penis is not doing well. I don't know if it's poison oak or something's happening. And then, so they're asking me all these questions and they found out my, so anyway, I got in to this doctor and it was this young girl doctor. And, uh, I mean, yeah, she's probably, <laughs> she probably looks like 25 or something. She looked like, uh, I mean, she looked like fresh out of medical school sort of thing. Um, so we're talking about it and she's like, do you have any bumps anywhere else? I was like, I think it's poison oak. And I think by this time, by the time I saw her, some of the other parents are starting to talk and like, I'm, something's wrong. One of the guys thought he had sunstroke or something. And I was like, I think it might be poison oak. Uh, and I was like, it's really, I might be, and she's like, is there anything anywhere else? I was like, I, I think I have some bites on my arms and stuff. And it seemed really like she was avoiding, n not wanting to look at the penis. She just kept like, 
you know, maybe I'll, t- I'll take a look at your arms. <laughs> There's like not hardly anything on my arms. It's like, you really kind of have to see <laughs> penis. <laughs> I feel kind of sick. <laughs> um, so then she like, she's like, all right, let's see it. Take off the gown. And she did like a straight up. And by this point, it's not looking great. I mean, it's like, it's kind of weird looking, you know? So she's like pointing at, she's like arm's length away from it and kind of stretching her head back and kind of pointing at it and touching it like a dead rat or something. <laughs> she's like, yeah, let's get some uh, tests on. So she, oh, wait, actually, no, she just kind of didn't know what, uh, what it was. And she's like, here, take some creams or whatever. Steroid shot? No, she didn't give me that. So she didn't do She didn't know what to do. It was just kind of, but she didn't even take a close look at it. Um, so then I was, I went home with some steroid cream, uh, some lighter steroid cream. And then the next day woke up and it was like a freaking balloon animal down there. <laughs> it was like all swollen and <laughs> his face is cringing as it should. And probably yours is as well. And I, I was got like, it on my elbow once you got it on your elbow. That was bad enough. Oh, right on your penis. I mean, it's like, and I, I don't, I still, I guess it's because the skin is just more sensitive than the other areas. I certainly didn't run around the place with my pants off. Um, so I don't know why it's only appeared on that. Maybe you can give me some science here, but from what I've read, that's just the more sensitive. Uh, High moisture too. Uh, so anyway... It was it was real rough, and so I had to go back to the doctor because I was like, it's significantly worse. And then she saw it the second time, and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna get one of my colleagues to look at this too. So then she had a nurse come in. So now it's two young girls in there, and she's snapping pictures of it with her iPhone to upload for their server so they can share it with their colleagues. <laughs> I asked her if she wanted my Instagram handle to tag me, and uh, she's like, yeah, you're funny. Snap, snap, snap. And then they get, the dermatologist finally got back and they gave me some prednisone and said, keep doing that cream. And the prednisone really helped and it's been getting better. But I've been, I've been managing with like these... I read the debates online between hot water. Some people say like hot water aggravates the rash, but it definitely, if you run it under really hot water, it's like a motherfucker for a minute and then the itch goes away. <laughs> For like seven hours. So it's like just going it into... traumatizes f- the nerve endings. Yeah. And one person said it like eases up or gets rid of the histamines for a while and or something. prevents histamine yeah. binding. Yeah. So, it, I mean, but when you first put it under there, it's like... Ah! It's just... <laughs> it's like all of the nerves are going crazy. Oh, and then I'm wearing... I'm, I'm doing this, putting creams on, and wearing a dress around the house... So the other morning, so the other morning, Emily walks in the door. Emily is our, she helps us and she watches the kids sometimes. Uh, and she walks in the door and I'm just there and I had no shirt on and I had a dress. So I just kind of threw a coat on real quick. So I just have like a coat and a dress. She's like, hi. 
Oh, and then there's one moment. So I'm in the middle of all this and the teacher's starting to freak out because, you know, all these parents are starting to have poison oak and stuff. She's calling everybody and figuring out what's the matter. And she's freaked out about throat stuff or whatever. And so I'm with somebody and she's really questioning me like, where, what's going on with the poison oak? Do you have poison oak? I was like, yeah, I think so. Where? I'm like, I mean, you know, it's kind of here. I'm with somebody and it's just my preschool teach daughter's preschool teacher. I'm like, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's on diff- my car. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And she's really asking, uh, Real specific questions about it. That fucking <laughs> thing is huge. <laughs> yeah, that's what I didn't want to say to my daughter's preschool teacher. So I just kind of didn't say. And then today at school, when I dropped off Amelie, she's like, oh my gosh, Amelie came to school yesterday and told everybody that you had poison oak all over your wiener. <laughs> And that you've been wearing a dress at home. (laughs) Sorry I was late uh, to start the recording, but I was cleaning and oiling my gun. What the fuck? I'm serious, 100% serious. That's not a euphemism for masturbating. I was uh, I was cleaning and then oiling my side-by-side 16-gauge Parker Brothers double-barrel shotgun, which you do before you put it away. So that's an important thing. Well, welcome to Literature's Podcast. <laughs> Shit! I... My phone fell and I really fucked up the intro on that. Oh, man. <laughs> Hold on, I can't even hear you. I can't even hear what's going on. I heard a collapse and then just calamity. And then then some... I like moved the... I tried to s- jump over to the piano and go, Welcome to the Literature's Podcast. And do ding, 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 ding. And, uh, but everything fell. <laughs> it was a disaster. Oh, man. That's a good euphemism for my life right now. Joke joke ruined. But uh, why are you cleaning a gun, Mike? Well, why do you have a gun? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a much better question for why a left-leaning super liberal gun control supporting person has a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandfather told me he was going to give me that gun when I was 5 years old. And I have very limited firearms experience, but most of it is with either my dad or my grandfather. Uh, And really with that gun. And um, I'm getting ready to leave the town I grew up in and move to California. And coincidentally, right after I move out of my house here, my grandmother is moving out of the house that she's lived in for 58 years and moving to Tallahassee because she's 92 and having trouble doing things and she didn't want to leave the gun there anymore because she thought someone might steal it so it was mine in the will and so saturday i found myself standing outside my grandparents house realizing it was the last time i would stand in front of my grandparents house as their house because uh, grandmother's moving out of it and granddad is dead and i was holding uh, the gun he told me he was going to give me when i was five 
And I just started crying so much, <laughs> just like mm-hmm. big, big tears. And uh, I hate guns. Oh my gosh, I hate <laughs> guns. But as I held this particular gun, all I could think of is how many times that gun fed my grandfather and my grandmother and my mom and my uncle. How many times it protected livestock from danger. Like he wasn't a recreational hunter. He was a farmer. And this was a working gun. And then I thought as a historical artifact, as a physical emblem of my family, and frankly of Tallahassee, Florida, I was honored to take that gun home. Hmm. So I called my dad, and today was my uh, last visit to the McCarg farm as a Tallahassee resident. And dad (laughs) taught me how to clean a gun. Hmm. And uh, he's lost a lot of strength in his left arm that he had gotten back after the stroke. So he mainly... uh, instructed verbally and I did like the work but they said when you get home make sure you oil it so that's why I was oiling the gun before the call and we went out in the woods and I shot cans with a gun which is an experience so viscerally terrifying I cannot describe it (laughs) like I know most people shoot guns they're like wow so much power and I'm like oh my god shit so much power that would kill someone I like literally all I can see is just you know, bodies falling apart every time you shoot it. So, um, and dad was like real proud because I like it's a double barrel and I shot one can and I shot the other, you know, like in succession. And, and, uh, I had to wear like earplugs and earmuffs because the noise bothers me so much. Just, it's really weird for like a, for like a pinko liberal gun owner in Los Angeles. <laughs> it's kind of so. So did you ever get the taste for shooting? Oh, no, no. I, I do like to clean it. And I like to sit with <laughs> it. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I could be a really good gun technician. Like, hey, Mike, the uh, the action's a little sticky. I'm like, yeah, leave it at the shop. I'll get it to you next week. And But there'd have to be like a separate person to test it and fire it. But boy, could I maintain the? I mean, it looked my. I I took it apart, and there's parts I don't think my grandfather's cleaned in twenty or thirty years, and I I mean it looks. I even oiled the 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 wood. I got a separate wood oil, and oiled the the stock, and uh, it's just it's a little. It's honestly, it's just a. It's like a a memento, a memorial of my roots, my heritage, and of course I have a bodacious trigger lock on it. <laughs> And uh, what, what does that mean? Uh, the, the, you put this lock over the trigger so it can't be fired without a key. And this lock isn't just a lock, it's a screw. So I was like, click and it comes apart. It's like twist, 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 twist. You have to get it all the way free to use the gun. Hmm. So I figure like a giant trigger lock and never having ammunition at my house is probably as safe as you could be with a gun, short yeah. of filling it with molten metal. So that's my plan. Is to never have ammo, just a gun. <laughs> You're a fascinating man. Yeah, I'm a weird dude. Well, I, you know, I never, like, I was always kind of like 
for many reasons. Uh, my my I'm really was really close to my grandfather. So obviously I dreaded his passing, but I've also dreaded this issue with the gun left to me in the will. <laughs> so every time my grandmother was like, "Hey, do you want this gun?" I'm like, "No, why don't you keep it there? That it's in his bedroom. That's where it belongs." So it was a big deal to take custody of the gun. Although like the cat the like uh the capitalists in me, uh, Parker Brothers were really, really, really nice guns. They stopped making them in the 1940s, and uh, they are quite valuable. <laughs> really? Yeah. I was I was actually surprised when I looked online at the value of Parker Brothers guns. And uh, what what is it yourself or your or your your mother? What what's I mean your grandmother? What's the what's the uh... Hold back, hold back. Oh, to me having it? Yeah. I hate for guns. It. Oh, to selling no, it. No, 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 no. No, that be it. that's me. I wouldn't sell it. I just like knowing it's valuable. <laughs> no, I wouldn't sell it. It's uh hmm. It's like his his dad gave him the gun. It's not oh, even wow. just like his gun. It's like his dad gave him that gun and then he gave it to me. I, I just, I don't know. I'm not usually sentimental. I think you know that about me. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm like, is this Mike? But this, is, this is one, this is one. It, sitting there, it's crazy, but sitting there like cleaning that thing is like holding his hand. That's as close oh. as I can get wow. to holding my grandfather's hand. Man. <laughs> I think I, there's, I, I am a Southerner. Like that was my big insight today. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm a Southerner. Yeah. <laughs> Got granddaddy's gun. Yeah. I'm a... Oh man, <laughs> I really wish this was a scored episode because I would, <laughs> I would have had nice like American, <laughs> like plucked acoustic under you. It would have been real nice. Yeah, they'd, they'd be against cool. the rules on the conversations though. People be like, what's going on? Is this the liturgist podcast? <laughs> I, d- I doubt it. I doubt they would care that much. <laughs> <laughs> it would just set a bad precedent. It for would myself. set a bad precedent. Yes. For, for you, most of all. For me, most of all. Yeah. Because I'd be like, well, I mean, we do it sometimes. That was a good one. <laughs> I'm like the fundamentalist that you, yeah, there's not, you can't even be in the same room with the girl. Otherwise, yes. what's next? It's a slippery slope. For, which, by the way, <laughs> beloved patrons, if you're wondering what the Liturgist podcast would be like if I had creative control, this is what it would be like. <laughs> <laughs> edits, no, never. No edits allowed. Scoring, no. I mean, you as science Mike's got the little beep be doo be doo. <laughs> that's a that's a neurological trigger though. That's that's with design. Yeah. So some of the meditation and Buddhist stuff and Buddhist thought that I love so much, I'm torn because like I like when you talk about these ideas of the oneness of everything and and non attachment and the peaceful bliss of being able to see the beauty in all of it. 
there's there's a great aspect to that and there's a part of that that I want to invite other people into because it how it's helped me and how it's made my life better and I think it makes the world better but there's also the just like if if that's all if it's just peaceful oneness and bliss we could all just kill ourselves right <laughs> and be the one uh so the 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 exciting drama of life of being at the convention of watching the award show of being at the sports game and being all in as an ape and just like yeah! uh there's going to be suffering and everything attached to that kind of engagement with the world but it's also why else it's part of being human and why else it's part of the beauty of all of this that's a, remember that story that I told you about the monk who got to the point where his like his work was really trying to get attached to things <laughs> and trying to trying to forget his uh his enlightenment and just being a human ape Really, really caring about who wins this sports game. <laughs> so I hate to go all Sunday school on you, but uh, someone asked me on Twitter what the liturgists believed about the gospel, to which I replied, nothing. The liturgists don't have opinions. The people in the liturgists have opinions and ideas. But it got me thinking about, like, what's the gospel to me? Yeah. And... I am puts on skin. Yes, yes. And comes and teaches and serves people that don't understand I am. Mm. And isn't heavy handed about trying to get them to believe right. I am. Right. But that the, the, it's an indwelling into attachment and into suffering. There is an attachment in. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Or mm. forgive them, they know not what they do. Mm. And all that is a choice to embody and incarnate, to take this beautiful enlightenment and awareness of the oneness and to carry it back into the illusion or the dream of yeah. individuality. Mm. And that's why I find Ooh. the teachings of Jesus to be instructive and informative to the teachings of Buddha and vice versa. Yes, I think Buddha is, yes. is, is, is better at helping you transcend into the oneness uh, mm. practically and in practice. But then Jesus helps you carry that oneness back out into this sense of division, which is why mm. I love this cosmic Christ, how Christ is what? An invitation into the oneness by the oneness incarnating the dream. Motherfucker. That's <laughs> why so I'm Having excited about now. these meditations, man. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. What is artistic appropriation versus just the way that human culture has developed in that there is no such thing as pure culture left on planet Earth? Yeah, definitely in the, in the age of the Internet, it, it makes it... Before the age of the Internet. Okay. Uh, I've been reading Sapiens, and he talks about how 
even back, like you think of Italian food, what do you think of? You think of like tomato sauce and that wasn't yeah. originally, they didn't have tomatoes in course. Italy for most of Italian history. That At some point that got important. Or Indian food yeah. with its spices, it's always thought of as very spicy and very... And the peppers that they use and stuff. They didn't have that until somebody already went to Mexico and colonized Mexico and then brought back peppers from Mexico mm-hmm. to India. Okay. So, so, like, the world has been yeah. a hodgepodge of influence and mixed culture for hundreds of years now. Totally. But I don't think we've been seeing it as fast as no. we have till the internet <clears throat> or the expediency of it. What you say. I also think culture should be up for grabs. I think, at least in the, Ameri- the American democracy experience, that's, experience, that's kind of the purpose is we are coming together of you know different cultures and people can appreciate those cultures partake in those and i think the issue of appropriation is a power issue very much similar to racism um i think appropriation uh in a negative sense i think what can be negative about appropriation is when the people that are the guardians of culture and power at least you know in terms of top tier uh, begin to appropriate things that are not true to them, but begin to profit primarily off of other people's culture while excluding other people. So, like, mm. let's take pop music, for example. Pop music has become an amalgamation of lots of different genres, but I would say the predominant theme through pop music now, um, outside of EDM, but even a lot of EDM now, is uh, black music. Hip-hop and R&B, for instance, there aren't any R&B artists on the chart right now. In mainstream music there isn't you could say beyonce and rihanna but they're really more uh pop mm. and then you would actually argue their last latest records are going back to a more rootsy type of r&b but other than them what black male r&b singer is really on top of the charts anymore but but look who's doing that sound it's nick jonas it's uh you know selena gomez it's like so much of soul music r&b music is being appropriated by white people in a very and their are why is that appropriation space. i think it's I, I don't think it's wrong for them to do it Call i think it's wrong <laughs> i think it's wrong when people uh, or when uh it feels and i'm not totally in the industry but i do know some people in the industry that uh if you look this way then you can sing this and if you don't you're not you you know you're not on radio they don't let you on radio um, and so I think a lot of black artists feel excluded from the space that they helped engineer, pioneer. Uh, and a lot of white artists are taking that sound and using it and becoming mega, mega, mega off of it. The historic, um, in the context of colonialism, what brought tomatoes to Italy? What brought peppers to India? What destroyed local culture? Europeans on boats colonizing nations. <laughs> yes. That's what did it. And so now that group who, through colonialism, extracted wealth and global power, then utilizes the cultural artifacts they gained through conquest to continue to further and cement economic and cultural power. That's why Mm -hmm. appropriation is problematic. It is a white executive in New York manufacturing plastic Native American headdresses in China and getting rich selling them on Halloween while actual Native American children are stuck on reservations at the mm-hmm. edge of poverty yep. and an ever dwindling percentage of the yes. population. And I would and I would add to that by saying it's oh, only that was articulate as hell. That was, was. That was killer. I want to clink you on that one. Uh 
I would also add to that too that it becomes problematic for white people that do that music to not recognize that that's what is going on and happening. So when when Kylie Jenner is you know rocking cornrows and she's acting like she's the one that invented it, you know black women take that personally. So so tell me what black person invented R and B in a pure unmixed culture sort of way. Well, it's not about the purity or un, unmixedness of oh that my God. Your <laughs> testicles are gigantic. <laughs> like Michael says things I won't think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like don't don't hear me incorrectly. I agree that there are cultural effects of colonialism um, and supremacy and racism that that come into effect in arts and trade and all these things. I just think cultural appropriation can be an, a lazy answer to it in a way, in the way that sometimes people kind of simplify okay, the issue. Fair, too. fair. But that you can um, say that about anything though. Like people can just be yeah. lazy in their understanding of that. Or well, well, but also there's a, there's, I meet, I've met people that are like artists, for instance, that actually care a white artist that I remember meeting who uh, is really influenced by uh, Latin music and Mexican music and different sorts of uh, different styles of from Mexico and, and Latin America and feels he asked like, is it appropriation for I grew up on this music? I love this music. Is it appropriation for me to use this? Can I do no. I have to do I have to play like what? What's not? What's not appropriation? Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? like, I, again, I, I don't think it's wrong to. I, I don't think he should feel bad for that. But I do think, and it sounds like he already has the awareness. He has the yeah. awareness of what he's walking into, in terms of, and also his popularity could very well depend on you know him doing him doing the style of that version that gets popularized. You know, and then he. It's almost kind of like I think you know we. I was talking to somebody the other day about the Caitlyn Jenner thing, right? It's like. You know, you had actual trans people looking at Caitlyn Jenner like, how do you get to be the representation of my struggle now? Because you don't fully represent for, you know, the majority of this community. You don't represent the pain and struggle. You actually can afford to make yourself look a certain way. You can do the surgery, you know. And there were, you know, lots of people in the trans community were really frustrated with that. That to me is an instance of, and not to belittle whatever Caitlyn's experience uh, of herself is, as much to say, hey, I'm walking in with so much privilege and power that I could actually dominate a space that other people uh, fought to occupy. Okay, but every creative person, that's why I said the issue about tell me the black person that created R&B out of a pure black culture. Gospel music. Tell me, gospel music is not a pure culture. They used... Blues. Blues is not. Okay. Take away, take away European harmony. You don't have the blues. I don't know that whether that's a fact or not. It so is. I, I've to... studied music history. You I can't. You can't take African American music was a blend of African music and American music, which stemmed a lot of it came from by people who were involuntarily. American. Of course, but they still gained the the benefit of hearing. How did they gain the some bit? harmony? I'm talking about artistically. Yeah, where, where did they? Where did the slaves hear it? I'm, I'm really wondering. I don't know. I mean, some of the early blues. Uh, like from the field songs and stuff. Arguably, some of that was pretty African. Just the the singing in the fields. And I stuff. guess the point. But then is once a you start lot. incorporating guitars, and that stuff, that's from Spain. Yeah, but a lot that, of those those art forms 
were crafted in response to oppression by Europeans. I don't think it's problematic to appropriate European cultural traditions. It was it was also all they had, like um, uh, you know, too. Like it, it the was... problem again is the dynamic of systems of oppression and economic ex- extraction. If you eliminate those forms of injustice, I will refuse to hear arguments about appropriation. You see what I mean? Because then it really is a level, level playing field. The problem is when people with economic and cultural power use the cultural norms of less advantaged or more marginalized cultures to get even more wealth and power. That's when appropriation... So where's the, the fix? The where's test. the fix of appropriation? Who does that... Where's the onus... Overhaul the global geopolitical economic system to eliminate <laughs> yeah. injustice or at least minimize it. But that has nothing to do with the artists. I mean, as far as like what you're using, what you're using inspirationally to create. If we talk about a society as a collection of individuals, I suppose not. But that system of market-driven personal incentivization is why we're in the barrel of shit we're in. Mm-hmm. We either volitionally enlist ourselves in the struggle or we're part of the problem. Yeah, but I, I don't. Th- I, I think I'm getting pretty radical. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> catching <laughs> this great. in Radio Land. <laughs> <laughs> but the the creative world, it's never every creative person that I can ever think of. Back to Bartok was stealing from Hungarians in Europe. Like the Europeans were stealing. It was they you go and listen to these folk songs. We know in they Hungary. were stealing, and. And the hung, the hung, maybe the Hungarians had heard some Russian folk songs, and the Russians had heard some Iranian things. It was there's uh, never. No, been, I'm not saying you can nope. never involve yeah. another culture's. Yeah, we don't. Fabric. We're not disagreeing with you. You can't on this. wholesale. Like if you're a chef and you're opening a restaurant in L.A., I don't think it's problematic if you're a white chef to make a taco dish. No, I think it's problematic. To open a Mexican restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Do you see what I mean? Unless you got the support of that community and they're like, yeah, and and you're investing in the the profits from that are invested back into that community. (laughs) Okay, how does that, is there a musical equivalent to that? Yeah, there is. Like, I mean, I don't know shit, but I don't, I've never found your work to be appropriative, but I have found it to be broadly culturally inspired. Yeah, and um, and you, but you have an appreciation, so I, no one's gonna put that. And maybe you felt that. I don't, I don't, I don't know if anyone is gonna put that label on you because of if they get to know you, they know your history, they know your complexity, they also know your your value for where those things came from. Um, so you can always feel that. You can always like people always pay homage back to where it came from. People that aren't appropriating have no problem being like like if Kylie Jenner is rocking cornrows, she's like, oh, like I got this from these girls over here. You you own it. You say it. And I think that's where the culturally it feels disrespectful. So especially if you're a black woman and you can't go to work with cornrows in, but Kylie Jenner makes it cool. And then people change their policies about what kind of hair you can wear because Kylie Jenner made it cool to do cornrows and black women for decades were going, why couldn't we do that? Or dreadlocks even, you know, that in a lot of corporate spaces, you can't have dreadlocks like black people. They, my cousin is a loctician in Atlanta. And so she has to, she works a lot of people with Delta, these big corporations. 
and she has to do their dreadlocks have to be up in a bun and they have to like go in every week and get it like do this whole thing just so they can work their jobs because delta decided that dreadlocks looks bad and is not like you're not properly grooming and so if you're gonna have that you've got to do this and so in, in culture when those things change oftentimes they're not changing because those people are actually taking a stand and saying this is how our culture this is how we dress this is how we wear can we be ourselves in this public space oftentimes it is white people taking those things and making popularizing them and then everyone's like okay we're cool now and then if you're a person of color going like what the fuck <laughs> you know like that feels like wait you told us yeah, no the, for so the long. harbinger of cultural legitimacy yeah. becomes the adoption of the white populace yes I guess just as a person who thinks a, a creative person, that's my job. That's my like, um, and from all that I know of creative people's history and where, how creation happens in the world. And even somebody like Beyonce, you mentioned who said, you say is going back to her roots. Um, but also has very white. She's got Jack white on her record and, mm -hmm. uh, straight up like, rock and roll that which was, came from chuck berry <laughs> which some of it did yeah yeah it also came from the beatles and it also came mm -hmm. i mean there's there's white influence in rock and roll you totally totally i know um and that's on her and country music. i just don't think you can appropriate white culture there's no such thing as white culture there oh now that's a big one mm. they that's that's there is absolutely white culture we say there's no such thing as white culture because it's just normative culture. Mm -hmm. We call culture everything that's not white in America. Like a suit and tie to the office, being on time, uh, like precisely on time. Everybody sits in the meeting. Mainstream culture, culture is dominant white. Is white culture. It's not dominant white. It is people of color have to put on a white uniform to exist in white culture. If they don't, if you're a student, a, this happened in my city and made national news. A black child wore her hair naturally and was threatened with suspension because of her extreme afro. Right? All oh, she did was story, yeah. do the same thing to her hair the white students did, only in her case it did this instead of this, and that was unacceptable to the point of expulsion. That's it's insane. A, it's normal. It's what happens every day, mm -hmm. everywhere in this country. Not everywhere in this Uniforms country. Uniforms that does people wear, this country, what hairstyles are, ex are allowed. All of it is normative for white. And we say whites don't have culture. What we mean is all acceptable culture. You can't say white. everywhere in this country is going to expel a black girl for leaving her hair. Yeah, that might sound extreme when we to you, but, around it, the but go, talk, go talk to black women yes. about their children and school and hair, and you will find way more stories than you would probably care to listen I, to. I know that it, it happens way more than you. I, I, I'm not it saying that it doesn't. News, I'm not but. saying it doesn't happen a lot. I'm saying you can't make a universal statement. Like you can't make a universal statement about anything. Okay, but fair enough. But in the construct in which statements may enough. be made, yes, it is common <laughs> exactly. enough to it's use common. a universal. It is, it is more common unless we want to go to legal fine print language for common usage. <laughs> it's perfectly acceptable within the vernacular. Exactly, that it happens everywhere. It's it's it, what Mike said, and it's way more common than than you realize. I like and this, it's Mike. like when we walk around. We walk around. When we're walking around in D.C. That's white culture. That's all. That's a. American emulation of British Parliament. That's our culture. That's what we do. 
everything's in order, everything's in row, respect the flag, all of that is white. There's absolutely white culture. It's invisible to us because everyone else, when they enter our spaces, adopts our norms. And so one of the, the, the best things that ha- has happened to me in my life was in school, the white kids wouldn't play with me and beat me up. And so I would hang out with the black children. And I was the only white kid. And so like they're, what they did in the classroom to emulate white cultural norms went away. They were themselves. And every time a white person is in a space that's not white majority, you start to see what white culture is. So as much as possible, I intentionally immerse myself in situations where I'm one of the only white people there uh, because it helps open my eyes to what my culture is. I think the biggest problem with appropriation is the degree to which white people seldom know what their culture is. We intentionally erased our ethnic European identities in it to create the amalgam of whiteness in America to justify, to unify Europeans in segregation. So that's where the construct came from. And in the process, we erased our ethnic identities and assimilated air air quotes. And at that point, uh, sowed the seeds of appropriation, which frankly is a relatively minor issue on the scale of the structure of, of white supremacy. Uh, it is, I, I, I'm nowhere nearly as concerned about cultural appropriation as incarceration yeah. and police brutality and economic inequality and all those yeah. things. But it is one factor of yeah. that larger system totally. that perpetuates white control of society. And I agree with you in the sense that I do think some of the rhetoric around it can be so God, hypersensitized. Dang, this is a good one. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is, I do, I do think, this is main feed shit. <laughs> <laughs> so the problem to me is when I look at mainstream culture, it's racist. It's been co-opted by white people through slavery and Jim Crow and all sorts of horrible um, ways. But th- but I guess what I'm saying is uh, what's, the, what's the grand vision here aside from an economic and, and educational and... and all just equality and empowerment all across the board. When you're talking about issues of appropriation and creativity and culture and art, what's what's the goal? What's the what's the? Um, I think the goal should be everyone should have an, an appreciation uh, for the richness of diversity, and that should be the goal in creativity. And of course, there's going to be overlap and there's going to be sharedness. We have a shared humanity and a shared commonness. And that's what makes, I think, this country great. And that's what makes us uh, a unique experiment, probably in the, maybe in the world stage, is that we are trying something, you know, that maybe has never been fully done. I don't know. I'm not a historian. Uh, but this sense of our shared humanness, shared commonality, and we can bring our uniqueness to the table and it all be celebrated and it all be um, accepted uh, versus pillaged, ripped away taken and monetized and you know shipped overseas and you know like yeah again going (laughs) cultural appropriation it all goes back to dignity respect acknowledgement yeah if you do that 
people will allow you to appropriate culture and feel good. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, at least because they feel like, oh, you get us. Even if you don't give the money or whatever, they're like, oh, he, he's from us or she's, you know, they, <laughs> they, they like, you know, people is like, as long as you, it's like hip hop culture, you know, you pay respects to the MCs that have gone before you. You don't disrespect them or you don't act like you were the one that's, you, everyone can feel like the, they're the best, but no one can disrespect the ones that paved the way that went before yeah, you. Anybody that's way, using a keyboard with 12 tones, you owe some shit to Bach. And Bach gets so much respect, even now, still you, in culture. Yeah, but also, yeah. also, you don't get, I just, nobody gets to appropriate white culture. <laughs> nobody. If you do, there's legal consequences. You go ahead and try to appropriate uh, a codec created by a tech company that's yeah. protected by a patent. Yeah. They will be all up in your shit mm-hmm. successfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another layer You'll to this conversation. You'll be bankrupt. If the, the thing with white culture is we have the systematic legal protections Means to, to preserve yeah. and protect our intellectual property and cultural mm-hmm. norms with the force of law. Yep. I guess what I'm getting at, for me, again, coming from a primarily creative lens, is the nature of creativity to me at its essence is stealing from other people and other cultures. Sure. So that's same all with language, that it is. same with culture. That's all. Yeah, but that's monkey everything. Monkey see, monkey do. Yeah, that's all the, that it is. It's so, the human norm. My point is we need... The point of the appropriation conversation is not to say creativity is wrong. Or using and being inspired or taking from other people's... Uh, creativity is wrong. It's Sorry. to draw attention to the role that the natural, normal function of language and culture and creativity... Are per- they're coming from a soil, and that soil is white supremacy. And so the reason the fruit is weird is because mm. of the soil, not because of the tree. say it again. What's the soil? Our coming- language, it's normal. No, but it's not just white supremacy that our language is coming out of. No, no, no. Agreed. But I'm saying the, the, the nutrient balance in the soil is so far off. Yeah. The fruit is weird, and that doesn't mean the problem is with the tree. And we keep talking about the tree, the tree, the tree. I'm talking about the soil. Yeah. We've got to work on the soil. And the roots. And, but the, working on the soil will affect the root, will affect the tree. Yeah. So th- what we talk about is the fruit, the tree, and we ignore the soil. Because, frankly, the soil is terrifying and seems impossible. Right? So we deal with what we can deal with. This is weird up here. This is a problem up here. And what that's what what's at its best, what that's trying to do is call attention to the overall systemic problem. Yeah, that might be the last articulate thing I can say. That's I mean that was my <laughs> that was my whole point of my book. Good job. The crowd's going to get amused. Was that exact it's analogy great, is great like fucking book. Thanks, appreciate it. I own it, but I never read but, it. But like oh, creative, we we the, the when we're at the level of creating something, we are at the level of the tree. That's and, yes, and sometimes it is important. To like take a moment and say where and what kind of soil is this coming from? Those are important questions. To oversimplify, this is black music and this is white music. And I'm white, so I better only make white music. I think that's a mistake, an oversimplification, and uh, and not part of the solution. Maybe.
getting dark here. So the street, the lights have come on, but it's real dark outside. And I'm guessing, I'm not good with yardage, but 30 yards away, a man just came out of the trees and is shambling towards this uh, thing I'm in. What? It's real spooky, dude. I'm having a genuine physiological reaction to this person. What? What do you mean he came out of the trees? Like out of the woods down by the river. <laughs> just shuffling along, like not on a path, just kind of through the grass, beelining straight for this building. Well, that's that's an interesting experience. It now could we, not now we all look have more to like wait. a zombie movie if I had staged it and was filming. <laughs> <laughs> even the no leaves on the trees, man. This is I'm up. Am I weird if I go lock the sliding glass door that you used to get in? Because that's gonna stop yeah. a zombie sliding glass. You know what? It'll give you a couple minutes. <laughs> I say, for the sake of the drama, for the for our little podcast here, you should do it. You should lock. See what happens. Sliding glass door. I should probably put my boots on because I'm bare. I'm in socks. That's not gonna be good to run through the Portland wilderness. I'd like to see another person other than this guy. Dude, that guy's NSA. He heard your Jerusalem thing somehow. He's walking real unsteady. Yeah, there's nobody here. This is a parking lot still empty, man. This is so creepy. <laughs> He's still walking right for you? Yes. I just walked out. I'm walking all around the place looking at the parking lot. I just got outside the other door. There's nobody here, man. It's just me. <laughs> and Shamblin' Man. What? What's he doing now? Where is he? He's still walking towards the shack. He was pretty far off. Closer <laughs> now. Oh, man. I get, now I want to score this episode and put some creepy music on it. I'm running up and down the hallway because I'm trying to go to windows where I'm not backlit so he can't see me looking out the windows. Okay, he just sat down. Zombies don't sit down. But he's sitting down in the field, not in a chair. I think he's drunk. There's a bar down the street. I think that guy's drunk. I, I like that I'm the only person here. Did he? Try, he didn't try the door? No, he's he's like, I don't know how far away that is. Like from your back door to the bricks at the end of your yard, that distance? Yeah, yeah. And he just sat down on the ground. Now he's laying down on the ground. Oh, man. What if he's not well? I guess I should put my shoes gonna... on. God dang it. You going to ask him if he's all right? I'm going to go ask him if he's all right. You know, <clears throat> people ask me that sometimes because that's the kind of shit I do. Just walk into a field and lay in the grass. He wasn't walking normal, though. Like, he was real. He was zombie walking. So, if a zombie eats me now, one, Michael posts this episode as a public safety announcement for the world. <laughs> Two, family, I love you. Three, don't publish his journal. Three, don't, it's not going to matter if the zombie apocalypse is here. How hilarious would that be? We're all worried about Trump and nukes and the climate. And what actually got us was zombies. <laughs> oh, it'd be pretty great. <laughs> the dead have risen again. 
Yeah, well, isn't that like the revelation? It's been happening. I'm I'm uh, rusty on my revelations, but don't the dead rise? Something at the end for a while for the millennial reign of Christ. Night cry. Oh man, this is so weird. What if it's actual zombies? <laughs> That'd be amazing. All right, I'm walk. I'm walking towards them. <clears throat> There's a slight a slight probability that if somebody programmed this universe, if we're inside a computer simulation, if I programmed it, I might end it like that. Yeah, that'd be a good, that'd be a fun way to do it. Hey, man, are you okay? Like, are you, hey, that's not a good place to lay down. It's cold out here. <laughs> sure you're okay? All right. A real drunk guy. It's a real drunk guy. <laughs> that's what that is. I like to get real drunk in a small town and walk onto a church camp and lie down in a field. That's a good time. That's what I do at party. <laughs> He's still laying there. <laughs> All right. There we go. Okay. Well, at least he's not a zombie. I got myself real freaked out there. That was not acting for the radio. That was uh, that was my real lived experience. <laughs> uh, it was good. It was good radio. I enjoyed it. Everybody's. <laughs> Imagination. Surprisingly thrilling episode of the Liturgist Conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Maybe it was uh maybe it was like Tim Kane or something out there. Maybe (laughs) (laughs) Poor Tim. He's just he's just hit bottom. He's like, I'm gonna go to How did this happen? But first I'm getting a few drinks. <laughs> oh, man. You're a good, good father. You're a good, good God. You killed your son in cold blood. So I wouldn't have to burn forever more. You're a good, good guy. All right, that's enough. Uh, well, you would not. There goes all our patrons. <laughs> I mean, listen. Next time you hear church songs, how much that story infects church songs? It's. I agree, one thousand percent. It's unbelievable. It's like, how can we? Because what you're thinking as a church songwriter, and I used to write songs, not totally murderous, but you know what I mean? I mean, borderline. You're thinking as a songwriter, okay, we need, we need to stir up gratitude. We need to stir up praise and thanks, thankfulness and love. How can we do that? What has God done for us? Well, I, and the first thing that you think of is I don't have to go to hell because Jesus died for me. God killed his kids so he doesn't have to murder me, torture me. Let's sing about that. So that's like, I don't know, I don't know if I could say most, but it's so pervasive through church music. I don't like singing those songs. Greek Orthodox theology solved this before the great schism. Yeah. Salvation is a healing of sickness, not an absolution of crime. There you go. And a reflection of humanity and grace and a tremendously, infinitely deep image perspective 
metaphor of reality that has inspired billions of people for thousands of years and in better ways often than with the murder your kid story. I mean, we could start. And then somebody else asked about sports. I hear you guys talk, never talk. You never talk about sports, like ever. What are your thoughts on sports and sports fans? Oh, well, the, I'm gonna start with that one. <laughs> we can hit those other two because they're good. All right. I I've always hated sports, and thought they um, had some advantages in terms of confidence building and limited contexts. Uh, but otherwise were a drastic waste of resources that could be better spent in academia or literally anything else, and that they made people hyper-competitive and violent. And then I read one study that showed a correlation between um, a global participation in the Olympics and a decline in interstate conflict, and that somehow sports channels that warrior tribal instinct to battle in a way that is far less destructive than war, if sports is basically war masturbation that keeps civilizations from killing each other because they just get their violent energy out through sport, uh, great, bring on the sports. I guess I just lack that libido for conquest and victory. There you go. Sports is war masturbation. <laughs> we should have a shirt, a liturgist t-shirt that says war. We definitely should. Definitely. Go war masturbation team. <laughs> yeah, I lack the uh, whatever that thing is that makes people really like sports. I liked it when I was a kid. I wonder if some of that was because I... I wanted to belong to my tribe, my men in my tribe that like sports, you know, hmm. and they seem to value these players greatly. But I, and I like play, and I liked, and I like playing sports sometimes. I think it's fun to play a sport, uh, but I don't. Yeah, whatever it is that like, go! No, not you. You go. I, I don't. It doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't spark. There's okay. There's been like a couple of of sports events that I have seen in my life that like really stirred something in my heart. Like I, there was like an Olympics one time that there was like America was the United States was playing Canada, and it was like this real intense game, and the, Amer the Americans were apparently the underdogs in this. And I all of a sudden sent some felt some sort of nationalism and some sort of. Sports, they're like, wow, what, a, what an amazing thing. Well, of course, thing. it was Canada. <laughs> I mean, that evil empire has to be stopped at all costs <laughs> with their free health care. But it's funny, I get into, and both Mike and I have been into, gotten into this conversation pretty hard with my brother, David, who is like sports man. And he just, uh, we just see things differently. We probably need somebody else in this conversation to bring some balance because both Mike and I are like, yeah, it's apes showing their strength. <laughs> yeah, we're not the best people. To... And I'm also not very, the thing for me, 
I'm just not very impressed by human physical abilities because like an average orangutan could do better. You know what I mean? Just stronger, whatever. Uh, Like the strongest, biggest guy that's worked out his whole life every day goes up against a, a normal like sized gorilla, female gorilla. Just no, no, no contest. Unless the contest is throwing. Throwing. Because we are the best throwers there we go. on the planet. All right. So. so any sport with throwing is a is a display of unique human capability. But you could you could program a a machine to throw better. <laughs> We've had great difficulty doing so. Really? If you include the same number of variables joints with the same degree of rotation. Yeah, the computers have a real hard time. Our brains have been relentlessly optimized for throwing through our mm. entire evolutionary history. Well, okay, I don't know if I agree with you because you could count, you could put ammunition into that category, and we are far more accurate with a machine. You're not throwing the ammunition; you're you're shooting. You're propelling. It, that's different. Yeah. Uh, again, you put a propellant. You're right. I'm not saying man beats machine universally at taking object from point a to point b i'm saying with an armature as flexible as a human arm taking a variety of objects that are not pre-designed to be thrown or pre-engineered for so a rock a stick a basketball Uh a computer mouse whatever uh, the human arm attached to human brain is a fantastic system for throwing things well there you go (laughs) <laughs> throwing we can, we can go watch some throwing contests <laughs> yeah discus discus <laughs> javelin these are good human sports <laughs> still not very impressive because i think the the uh i'm not i'm not i have no connection or attachment to the mechanism by which projectile gets from a to b <laughs> Right, clearly. <laughs> you can design any number of devices that will throw farther and more accuracy a javelin exactly. than a human arm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you're really attached to that, that particular mechanism. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. It's got to I mean something in sports. There's got to be some redeeming quality, I assume. I like sports fans. So I got really into yeah. college football fans recently, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I don't even watch the games, but I like to watch the interaction between their voluntary, oblique tribalism. Yeah. Well, and if that's I, pretty fun. I can chat. I can channel my brother for a second, bro. It's like you like watching a musician play. They're doing what they do. They're masterful at their craft. That's what I'm doing. I'm watching these masterful. Brilliant athletes do what they do best, and they're being their human beings in the fullest sense that they can, and developing their minds and bodies in ways that you couldn't even dream of, bro. That's a frighteningly good emulation of what David would say. <laughs> I mean, that's like... And here, here's why I like David Gunger so much. Because he says stuff like that, and then I go, that's a decent point. <laughs> like He says it with the Dave intensity... But it also like usually there's a there's a decent point in there too. Yeah, this doesn't do it for me. Because you could you could design a you know 
You could design a machine that could play guitar parts that no human hands could ever play. That's true. But it wouldn't be the same. I don't find a beauty in the the competitive nature. Like to me, and he would disagree with this because I think there's something fundamental about why he likes sports and why I don't maybe. I don't see music or art or film or the things that I love that I like want to watch people do and make what they make and be amazed at it. Uh, I don't see that as inherently primarily competitive. I see it arising out of a different place of the human spirit than I'm going to beat you. And maybe that's naive of me, but uh, I, I, cause I don't feel that when I'm making it, I'm not, when I'm making what I'm making, I'm not thinking or feeling that I'm trying to do it better than somebody else or that I'm trying to put, you know, I'm trying to get on top. I'm just, I'm seeing the art itself. I'm seeing the thing that I'm trying to do um, and make it the best that it can be in my most ideal places. I'm not, you know, I'm sure I've had moments where it's less than (laughs) ideal in the middle of creating something. But um, to me that there's a different end goal with art than sports but uh david would disagree i know this because i've talked to him about it and he disagrees San Antonio and playing it. I think it's a Methodist thing, which surprises me because I thought you Methodists were supposed to be open-minded folks. Well, yeah, they're uh, so open-minded. You can also be like arts conservative evangelical and still be a Methodist. Hmm. That's how they work. Gotcha. You so can we like, doing- like, honestly, like, uh, like Jerry Falwell and Richard Rohr would both be welcome in United Methodist. Wow. <laughs> Real broad tent. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So we were, so playing at this college and, um, all, for all these acoustic dates, it's all like kind of a, a mix of question and response and music. We just kind of flow in and out of it. Um, and kind of let the question dictate where we go musically as well. Um, and so the same thing was happening, and we were just being ourselves. And uh, you could t- I could feel in the room some people get a little clenchy after um, one guy that was an atheist raised his hand. He was talking, he was saying he wasn't a Christian, and he, he didn't know how to relate to his family anymore. Does he need to use Christian language? and metaphors and such to be able to talk to them uh he didn't want to hide his true self but he also wanted to like be able to have conversations with them and not make them feel alienated and because the way we answered i mean lisa answered first and she just sort of said yeah we've dealt with that with our families as well And, and we were very i think it was so shocking to me what ended up happening because you know, I, I told him a bit about how I've, how we both have gone through that, and but the value of love and the value of seeing the other, and and 
meeting them, meeting his family where they're at and not judging them, just like he doesn't want to be judged. Um, right. You know, because I was like, there's just way too many walls and way too many dividing lines in the world already. I don't think we need to build another one. And, uh, but that was like, that was the whole arc of the answer, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, we don't know that. So, I, it was all the answers we were ourselves, so I'm sure there was lots of offense. To, to yeah. the people that were being offended, they yeah. were being, we started with am I. We started the whole night with this, yeah. like, am I God? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, maybe there I did it. I'm not sure. But anyway, at well, some they, point, apparently the guy, the, the guy, the promoter, went up to RTM and was like, you have to shut this down right now. Like we have church people, people from my church that are leaving and upset, and you have to shut this down. They can't keep talking like this. Um, and he's like, what are you talking about? And then the, a woman came up, I guess it was like a pastor of the church associated with promoter or something. I don't know. And it, it was a whole mess the behind pastors, the scenes. Yeah. And apparently some of the some of the fans that were there told us afterwards they heard they heard the thing going down behind them. They were, yeah, they were, they were sitting right there. So they they rushed up to me. Well, first of all, like our tour manager handled it like a pro. He was he was really great. He just said, "Hey guys, how about we're gonna do one more song and and then and then we're then it's done." And both Michael and I just looked at each other. You know, we're on the stage. We don't know what's going on. And I said, "Oh whoa, oh man, is there a sound ordinance?" You know, we're kind of like joking around. Because actually, even our even the tour manager guy, he said, the tour manager Leo, he said it, he thought it was going great, and like the banter with Michael and I was great and funny, and so we felt really lighthearted, <laughs> like it was going great, and uh, we didn't know about all the arguments behind the scenes. So he he says, okay, we have to we have one more song. So he didn't say anything, like he said this in the microphone. So we do one more song. And we go backstage and Michael and I are going like, what's, what do you think has happened? And I said, I'm going to go out there. And I go out and two uh, people that were at the earlier show that morning rush up to me and started telling me what went down. And then a, a woman pastor came over and she said some things to me. And she was, she was nice. Um, they said that there was a miscommunication. And, and they only, but they only wanted us to do music please have him stop talking just music and so she was like I'm sorry for the miscommunication again she was really nice and sweet about it and she left and they said that's a lie that's not what happened at all <laughs> they said we heard all of them talking they wanted to shut the whole thing down and they said this is a Christian this is a Christian show this I can't believe they're talking about the things they're talking about and there's atheists here asking questions and it's all too open it's it's uh this is not what's supposed to be happening. <laughs> I get and a so, good laugh. I, I enjoy so it. Michael, yeah, is like, is like, yeah. I mean, we're both like, wow, that's kind of awesome. <laughs> he got shut down. Shut and the thing by is, the that you... by Methodist. Like that's the amazing. Like shut down by Methodist. By Methodist. <laughs> like. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like I, like my Methodist church in Tallahassee, literally like NRA members and like married women sit next to each other. You know what I mean? Like the tolerance for we don't agree on stuff in the Methodist church is high. Like it's really unbelievably high. 
So that dynamic really, really, really surprises me. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they're just, they weren't, aren't maybe a, they're aren't just shut people down, kind of crew. Well, and, yeah, and that's what I didn't think. But maybe their church wasn't. Maybe the church wasn't Methodist. Maybe we were at a Methodist venue. I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't. I don't know what the I name mean, of the church. But there's also. I mean, there's also different Methodist churches that are more conservative than others. There are. That, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There are that exist. Um, that's the point but, of the Methodist church. Like it's. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I was so brave yesterday. <laughs> I just couldn't leave. I was like, I've got to go. I've got to go back in and talk to them. This is this is ridiculous. And I wasn't. I w- it wasn't going back into like smooth things over. I just. I don't know what it was. I think it's a point probably that Michael has hit a long time ago with just being sick of being sick of it. You know, here he said I talked for a long time. I don't even remember everything I said, but he. Uh, I remember the guy saying that we were scooting around. God that we didn't say God enough and I was like but I did say I love God and like God in my faith essential to my life so that was weird you know I mean it was it wasn't enough talk about it and he said we were skirting around the issue and it, we weren't like blatant enough about I, I suppose about like the Christian faith you know like this is I'm guessing when we were speaking with the, you know, the young man that was an atheist, my guess is that we didn't tell him, well, you just need to believe in Jesus. You just need to believe in God, and you should repent for being an atheist. I, like, that's what I, I wonder, you know? We have uh, bastardized the gospel, and so we're very careful. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> but I, well, I, again, I was, I was. Just surprised. imagine that, like, Michael Jackson eating popcorn gif as I listen. And go ahead. So I get a text. Leo went in there with her to, like, watch over and make sure she was okay. She, she was, she's like, I got to go back in there and talk to her. Enjoy that. I have I have nothing to say. Um, <laughs> but so Leo's texting me while she's in there talking to them, just going. And Leo's new with us, so he doesn't really know us very well. He's like, Lisa is a badass. she is just laying into right now she's just like that was wrong you had no right to do that this was our show and what you're doing is bastardizing the gospel into this divisive (laughs) she's just going off on this dude (laughs) it was so funny it's one of those moments in life where you're saying exactly what you want to say like like i remember i had this one one moment in life for playing frisbee uh, ultimate frisbee and I'm always bad at it and I had this one game where I was like the champion of the game and that's how I felt yesterday <laughs> I felt like I was like saying exactly what I wanted to say and I wasn't like I wasn't scared because I can be very intimidated by people and you know me Mike I like I'm, I'm a, so I'm you're a people pleaser you're really intimidated by people until you disembowel them <laughs> I will shit down your throat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I, I feel like I trust I feel like I trust myself more these days. Like I'm going to say this. And so I told him that I said, I can't leave here without telling you this is like that this is how I feel. I'm not interested in sending a weird coded email and smoothing things over, but uh he and he kept saying like well, maybe it was a miscommunication because we're understanding each other now and I'm agreeing with you. And I was like, no, this is not a miscommunication. This is, I want right. you to know this is wrong. This is not a miscommunication. Right. This is wrong. 
you shut down, you shut it down because um, it was uncomfortable. You were unco- uncomfortable. And if atheists and Christians can't be together, where are they? Oh, he'd say, well, we should have had this in a different venue. This should, this should have been, in, this shouldn't have been in like in a church. We should have been in a different venue. And I said, where do you, I said, are you, are you kidding me? Isn't this the very place that you are saying that the pe- people should come together? And it's like, it's just so much uh, hypocrisy. It, it was, it was stunning. It was just stunning. And so then, then another man was there and he um, asked if he could pray for me, which I felt two <laughs> things. I was like, okay. I have to watch myself here because I, on one, on one hand, I was like, oh, that's, that's sweet. And that's nice. Like, yes, let's like have unity in the middle of this division. Right. Like, but on the other hand, it was, it's really felt like I'm an, a man and now I'm going to pray for this woman <laughs> and her misunderstanding, you know? So, oh, here we kind go. of a power, kind of a power play. You and should have said, so- yeah, I'd love to pray for you too. <laughs> I know, I know. And then the poor, this guy, this sweet guy who helped with our merchandise was totally stuck in the crosshairs. Like he had nothing to do with any of it. He was only waiting to tell me uh, thank you at the end. <laughs> 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 this poor guy, his eyes were so big the whole time. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that you had to listen to my whole speech thing. Like, I'm so sorry. He goes, oh my gosh. He goes, well, I, I just love to get your email address because I... I came back because I have a lot of questions that I'd love to talk to you and, and Michael about, and I'm really interested in what you have to say. <laughs> I was like, cool. Oh, man, it was, uh, it oh, was wild. It he came up like red-faced to me afterwards, like, I'm sorry how that went down. We didn't really want it to go down like that. And I was like, hey, man, it's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> He goes, no, I'm telling the truth. I was like, no, I'm not saying you're you're making up a story. I'm saying this whole thing, you shutting down our concert, is a fun story. It's gonna be a fun story. So thank you. (laughs) And he just was like, oh man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Well, and I don't know what happens to you two. It's just like way like shit goes down for y'all. Oh gosh, isn't that weird? Every event I do, it's so uh, weird. Well, not every, but a, a big portion of my events are in churches. I do ask science Mike, and I say crazy stuff. Yeah, and, like, I've heard it's you not, say. And atheists in the crowd. It's like twenty or fifty yeah. atheists in the crowd. And yeah. like the pastor of the church is usually there, and they come out there and like, "We're so glad you did this." And then you guys like. Nothing inflammatory. You're just kind to an atheist and like shut it down. There's something. I mean, it's it's somewhat. It's a lot where we started from. But I think there's also started as worship leaders, yeah. And we still sing like we try to move into spiritual moments. As far as like, you know, we have songs like Vapor and that are intentionally like sung to God and and meant to spiritually. And I think people aren't used to having that experience tied to anything but this one really weird subculture of Christianity or something. Uh, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know how I mean mainstream I don't know I've never been to a worship experience, a Christian worship experience that's anything sort of but within this evangelical CCM bubble of culture that is definitely conservative leaning 
and definitely has a theological appropriate boundaries marked out. And a lot of times the worship leaders themselves don't believe those things. A lot of the people I know in the worship industry uh, can't say what they really think about stuff. So they just get up and they say the jargon and they pay. Um. (laughs) Yeah, like I I think the way you, you started, Mike, was Michael and I have said this so many times. It's like it's the way you start. That's how people know you. Like you started as this more controversial person and I think for us like the first big song everybody knew was beautiful things because like that I mean that was one of the things this guy said to me he said you know beautiful things really changed a lot of their lives I don't know how you could say some of the things you said and that was weird to me that he thought that I didn't believe that anymore yeah and I think it, it has a lot to do with the language we use the words we're using they think that's the words that people are wrong and I I don't know. I I get it. Like I do get it. I get that because it's happened within my very family. You know, we have these conversations and it's example is like, don't say the word Zen, say the word Jesus. Don't say this, say that. Don't say, you know, it's, you could go back and forth and pick apart the conversation, like the words that Michael and I say that probably makes them uncomfortable because that's what an outsider says. But for well, us, about, it like, sounds like so much, so much like enlightenment and love and God in, in, in finding new language to use. Like that's been helpful for us. Yeah. I, I think there, there's just the, the cultural categories. So like, if you think of a, think of a country Western artist walks in the room, picks up his, you know, jumbo Gibson guitar. He's wearing cowboy boots and tight Levi's jeans. And he's got, and he starts singing about America and boots and guns and uh, God. He says something about guns. Like, what do you, okay, now that, now that's all you know about him. What does he think about gay marriage? What party does he probably vote for? You probably would suspect kind of where he fits in a bunch of different areas. You have somebody get up and sing, holy, holy, holy. What yeah. do they think about gay marriage? What do they think about evolution? And it's, it just kind of goes, there's these packets of cultural information that usually go together. And uh, we don't. So like strip it things. from a religious context and you've got the Dixie check. Yep. Like their audience, but they, berserk, yeah. their music didn't change. Yep. It was just literally mm-hmm. they admitted they were different politically, and everybody's like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, that's yeah. not the package. You can't be different than that. And then, and then people are really hurt because they feel like you've lied to them, but you haven't. Like we've not been lying to people. We haven't. We've been. I feel like we've. That's, I mean, we've that's been trying to be the most the honest. Most trouble we for. <laughs> for not lying, yeah. Right, you don't Isn't lie. That crazy. And that people get really I'm upset like... about it. Yes. <laughs> I I feel like I'm at my my like absolute breaking point with that because I know other people lie. Oh, I just make it. I'm, I feel like I'm just starting to go crazy with it. Like I, I I get the humor and like last night we were laughing and it was great. And this morning I woke up just so frustrated with all with with this the system. Like I'm frustrated with this system. And I've recently been having like other other uh, women like texting me other artists and authors and 
who are just now getting like a taste of this, people leaving their church or they said something. And, and so they're all going, how did you guys deal with this? Like, I can't believe that you're still speaking to this crowd or still even still like have faith at all, you know? Like, well, <laughs> forgive and live open, oh, still live open. But it's like, it's so, so frustrating that the hypocrisy is rewarded. Yeah. If I was a young earth creation scientist, I would drive oh, a Bentley. Yes, you would. I would stalk in stadiums, drive a Bentley. <laughs> if I just like yeah. lied about, like, because I could make it sound convincing. I could yeah. like make people feel like they could go on the internet and take on Richard Dawkins. I could, I would look myself in the mirror and then bang my head on it until I was dead. <laughs> oh, oh. You know, like I couldn't. No, I. You know what I mean? Like I would look. I would just hate myself. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I remember when we played Mafia that night, and you had to lie to us <laughs> in the game, yeah. and you went into the sink. And threw and up. I knew. That was really funny. But here's the thing, like right? So like, it, uh, you get shows shut down, and there's a whole swath of places I'll never get invited. But at the end of the day, being truthful about who you are and what you believe, you sleep better. I don't think I could get ego annihilation or a sense of oneness in meditation if my public face was a lie. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think that, that consistency in word and action and thought and feeling, these are all things that help us arrive at a place where we can receive the divine and participate in the use some language in what God is doing in the world, it requires that kind of consistency and honesty. Yes. When there's that, do you, do I accept myself to get into that place in meditation? You have to develop this muscle of non-judgment and love and acceptance and yes. And if you are saying no to your very soul constantly, you can't just go in and all of a sudden like say yes to everything except that um that's shutting down yourself and your relationship to god reality the universe whatever you want to call it in in the closest sense so i think that i think that's why you see jesus whenever he's mad he's mad at these hypocrites he's mad at these people that have this external bullshit thing going down where they act like they're all holy and righteous, but they're really cutting themselves off right at the soul, right at the heart of it, and they don't mean it. So they're not even true to who they are. They can't even say yes at step one of who am I. And um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, woman, I, I where are your accusers? Like, and nothing. Well, I don't accuse you. They, they're not here. I don't accuse you. But then, like, the guy's like, I keep all the commandments. What should I do? I'm so badass. He's like, sell everything you own and give it to the poor. Yeah, <laughs> like the lady was like been caught in this culturally awful thing. Uh, supposedly could be stoned for it. He's like, hey, I don't condemn you. And the guy who's like, I've got it nailed. He's like, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, or you can't go in the kingdom yeah. of heaven. I just, mm-hmm. it's literally in the Bible in the book. <laughs> that is so important. <laughs> oh man.
So uh, we made it through. I may have lost us a lot of people. I may have lost more of my own fans in mocking, <laughs> mocking Christian worship songs. Um, like to keep it weird. And talking about my penis for 15 minutes. Because uh, most, most of us, we want to, we want to imagine, you know, Christians don't have genitals. No, not most of us. Not the most people that listen to this. This is uh, how we get the show done. We talked about doing a shirt with like a circle and a picture of my swollen, bulbous, rotting looking penis on it, and then one wildlife. <laughs> and with that, I bid you adieu.